We are thankful, certainly, each of us already having expressed the same, not only in the words of our songs, but also in words of prayer to God for allowing us to assemble and to gather. And as we're gathering, of course, we're still interested so much always in worshiping God in truth and in spirit, borrowing the words of John 4.24. And tonight, I hope that as you make use of your Bible, we'll be using the book of Daniel again. So please be turning to that location with me as we reconsider yet another series or another lesson in our series dealing with world history. Well, I suppose we've often considered throughout this series that although history might not have been your favorite subject, I hope at least we'll each be reminded of how great a lesson it can teach us about the great power of the God that we serve. How that even history is a testimony to His almightiness and how that through that episode and through that reality, the fact that it came to pass exactly as He said He would, it should be a constant reminder, re-energizing our faith, that we serve the very one who rules time, and He does so absolutely. This opening slide in our series tonight will basically set before us the very character of an overview of the entirety of, of this series. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, the remarkable and inspired prophet on that occasion said, as God spoke through him, very interesting, he said, Remember the former things of old. I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times the things that are not yet. God made that statement through Isaiah. He said, I am able to declare what hasn't occurred yet. And he did that in the book of Daniel. He did so, so profoundly and so thoroughly. On this next slide, as you can well appreciate, we're able again to understand that there have been two centerpieces in, our, in the study so far in this series. One of them has centered on that dream seen in chapter number 2. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and we've looked at this picture more than once. As you, in fact, embed the thought of that in your mind, in this image, in this dream that Nebuchadnezzar saw, this image had a number of component pieces. There was a head of gold, arms and a breast area of silver, a midsection and thighs of brass or bronze as some translations render it. There was a lower leg section of iron, but the feet were partly mixed of iron and clay. One by one, as we've looked at all of them, we understood and God revealed it to Daniel, who in fact told Nebuchadnezzar that these are representative of kingdoms. What's more... There was a stone that was cut out without hands, and the stone crushed into the image in the lower sections. And the pieces of the image were basically cast into the wind. The stone, however, became a mountain that filled the whole earth. As you hold those thoughts in your mind, again, representative of that image, we notice that roughly 50 years later, God blessed Daniel with a vision. And in that vision, Daniel, however, was told basically very similar pieces of information, but in a very different way. Beasts rose out of the sea. You may remember that the first beast was like a lion. These pictures, again, are things like what we've seen so far. A lion, but no ordinary lion, for the lion had eagle's wings, but the wings were plucked and we notice that the lion reared up and a man's heart was given to it. Interesting. Following that, though, another beast rose up out of the sea. This one was like a bear. 
We noticed it had three ribs in its mouth. It was raised up upon one side, and it was specifically told, devour much flesh. Following that, another beast rose up out of the sea in Daniel chapter 7. This one was like a leopard. But again, as quick and as rapid and as fast as a leopard might be, this one was even faster, for it had four wings and four heads. One more time, as we've studied all of these, we'll quickly summarize in a moment, but the fourth one, there was an exceedingly dreadful, ferocious, terrible-looking beast that rose up out of that sea, fourthly. It had ten horns, but strangely enough, three of those horns were plucked up, and another one rose up in its place, and this other one had eyes like a man. And you'll notice at the very bottom, this horn spoke great things. One by one, we've studied all of those so far. If we return to the previous slide, we can highlight what they were. At the bottom of the list, in summary, the first part of that image, as well as the first beast that rose out of the sea, that was the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar was, in fact, that head, and God expressly told that through Daniel to him. That was also the first beast. Secondly, the silver section was the Medo-Persian Empire, and it, of course, likened to the bear beast that Daniel saw. And those things came to pass exactly like God told Daniel they would. The third one, the Macedonian or the Grecian Empire. The notable horn that we had seen on that ram was none other than Alexander the Great. And this one too was a very famous kingdom. It was likened to the leopard. As quickly as it advanced, we noticed the horn was broken off when Alexander died. Fourthly, that fourth kingdom, this was the one we studied last Sunday night, the Roman Empire. Terrible, ferocious, cruel, very, very strong in many ways. And you and I no doubt remember as we come to the pages of the New Testament how that on that occasion they were famous for crucifying people. And that's what happened to our Savior. An almost inhumane way to die. And yet the Roman Empire was not only good at it, they thrived in it. One by one, as we've looked at all of them, that has been the thrust of our study of Daniel to this point. But tonight we come to the continuing saga of world history as revealed in this very powerful Old Testament prophet. As we do that, you'll notice we've already mentioned it tonight, but it's time to come again to ask about the continuing features in that dream that Nebuchadnezzar saw. For in addition to that multifaceted image, there was a stone. There was a stone that in fact smote the image the text says. Might I ask you to revisit Daniel chapter 2 with me as we look at the explicit wording as it relates to that stone. Daniel chapter number 2, and let's notice as I read in our hearing, verse number 34 and 35. It says, Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now I've tried to summarize in a very brief way at the top of that slide that which you and I just noted as we read it. 
as great as that image was that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream, consisting of gold and silver and brass and iron and clay, as great and as powerful and as extremely overwhelming as it may have appeared, Nebuchadnezzar also saw a stone. It came and rolled into or crushed into the lowest parts where the iron and the clay were, and the image was pulverized. That which it symbolized was gone. It's almost as if it became into the wind that was carried to all the parts of the earth. But lo and behold, the stone, the stone that had crushed into it, that stone increased and became an incredibly great mountain that filled the whole earth. Now you can imagine the intensity as Daniel saw all of that happening by way of this interpretation. You'll notice as we have so far though noted it, the parallel existent in chapter 7 is so very helpful and so very meaningful. One might ask, is there a parallel to those events in chapter 7? Well, you'll notice at the bottom of the slide, indeed there is. Turn over to chapter 7 as we look at the continuing saga of that vision that Daniel saw. Question, after those beasts one by one came out of the sea, after the fourth one had come out, what else did Daniel see? What else was told to him? The reading is a little bit lengthy, so I won't read all of it. But if you'd like to notice verses 9 and following of Daniel chapter 7, there began to be more information detailed to Daniel after that last beast had arisen from the sea. As you and I arrive at verses 13 and 14, which was the lesson text for the evening, it again reads like this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed." Now that parallel setting before us those interesting details of chapter number 7, let's fill in some of the remaining pieces out of all of it. As we do that, let's transition to this next slide. I would submit to you that in that dream that Nebuchadnezzar saw, as well as in that vision that Daniel was blessed to receive, the greatest of the kingdoms, the greatest of the kingdoms was the one that was the last one. Think again about what we've just stated. As great as that golden section was, it was no more. As great as the silver section was, it was no more. As great as the brassy section was, it too reached a conclusion or termination. Even as great and as dreadful as Rome was, the last one, it too would ultimately vanish into oblivion. But what happened to the stone? The stone, of course, became a great mountain. It filled the entirety of the earth. And you and I certainly will devote our time tonight to investigating that mountain and the stone that prompted it. As we do so, might I ask you to notice on this slide, there's a very clear presentation of the time frame. Mankind cannot question it. What is the time frame that God gave? Go back to Daniel chapter 2 as we look at a very interesting passage that details it so very clearly. After that dream was revealed in the second chapter of Daniel, we notice in the verses that follow, the interpretation was set forth. 
The interpretation goes like this. I'll begin reading in verse number 42 of Daniel chapter 2. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Now you and I have noted that part that was the iron and clay, that was the Roman Empire, and so he testifies it'll be partly strong and partly broken. Verse 43, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. One more time, that Roman Empire and the weakness that would characterize her, it would not be a continuing kingdom. Its dominion will only be temporary. And so verse 44, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to another people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. As I promised you, the greatest kingdom is this one. It will stand forever. Once established, it will never cease to be. And so tonight, as we cast the spotlight on the mountain, on the stone that prompted it, and on the kingdom that would never be destroyed, might I suggest to you that, again, the language is extremely compelling. Note again the time frame of verse 44. It says, in the days of these kings, a dual prepositional phrase said. What kings is he talking about? It's the very ones contextually he just described in verses 42 and 43, the Roman kings. During the days of the Roman Empire, the God of heaven, Daniel was told, was going to set up a kingdom. It would be far grander than any of those that preceded it far grander than the Macedonian, the Roman, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian. In fact, it will stand forever, he testified. Once established, it would never cease to be. Now this kingdom, you'll notice he also says in verse 44, very quickly he says, the kingdom shall not be left to another. One more time, the perpetual, ongoing nature of this kingdom we have noted to this point, every one of these previous kingdoms, there came a time they gave way to another one. As great as Babylon was, it gave way to the Medo-Persian. As great as the Persian one was, it ultimately again fell into the dustbins of history and Macedonia arose. And finally Rome came after that one. And so each one was giving way over the course of time to another. God says, this one will not be like that. Once established, it will never change hands to another one. It'll never be succeeded by a better one. It will never be superseded by another one. This kingdom, whatever it was, by far the greatest of all of them. As you and I continue on that slide, back to chapter number 7. What about one of the de details stated there? And we noticed it earlier, but it certainly wouldn't hurt us to observe it again. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. You might notice something. There was a powerful set of descriptors given. One like the Son of Man came through the clouds to the Ancient of Days. When that happened, notice the adverbs. When that occurred, verse 14 says, there was given him a kingdom, dominion, power. 
if you and I can ascertain biblically an occasion when one like the Son of Man passed through the clouds of the Ancient of Days, we should expect the fulfillment of this prophecy. We should expect in its entirety the absolute nature on which the God of heaven brought it to reality. Thankfully, all those details are given to us. And as we come to the bottom of that slide, it only prepares us for those that will, of course, follow it. One of the first things I thought we ought to do is notice with amazing clarity one of those features. As Daniel chapter 7 presented it, to what people would this kingdom be apparent? Now we remember that there was a great significance to the Babylonian Empire and we saw a map of that one on the, on the night we studied it. And we even looked at a map of the Persian Empire on the night we studied that one and we appreciated the extensiveness of it. The week following, we looked at a map of the Macedonian or Grecian Empire and how great it was. Last Sunday night, we looked at a map of the Roman Empire and as great as it was, it pales in comparison to that. That's every continent on planet earth. All seven of them, every island you can imagine, they're all there. This kingdom, Daniel seven fourteen says, all peoples everywhere in all languages would be a part of it. Isn't it fantastic to give thought to the enormity, the vastness, the extensiveness of this kingdom? Surely as we then appreciate that stone that became a mountain that filled the whole earth. I wonder as we look at further details about it. The next slide will begin to put the puzzle pieces together. First of all, as we give thought to this greatest of kingdoms, let's keep in mind the stone mentioned there in Daniel chapter 2, the stone that crushed into the image, that stone that ultimately became a great mountain filling the whole earth. Our Savior said it like this in Matthew 16. As He spoke on that occasion in regard to a comment that Peter made, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, a description is given to us of the chief cornerstone. None other than Christ. Peter expressly says he is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And upon him, of course, the entirety of the structure is founded. That structure, as you and I notice it, might we immediately pause to consider this. Reference was made to the fact that a great mountain filled the whole earth. That isn't the only time we encounter a description like that. In Isaiah, the second chapter, a beautiful prophecy is set forth. In fact, a very compelling one at that. In that prophecy, the God of heaven through Isaiah said, very interestingly, words like these. He spoke about, in the last days shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and all nations shall flow unto it. Let's reconsider something. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. So there's reference to the fact that mountain was going to be established. It was to be established in the last days. 
According to Acts 2.16, the last days began at Pentecost. And now, we might well put those pieces with 1 Timothy 3.15. I would ask you to interestingly consider it in light of that Isaiah 2 passage. In 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So putting those together, we make this conclusion. The mountain of the Lord's house, Isaiah 2, is the same thing as the church of the Lord, 1 Timothy 3.15. And so that prophecy in Isaiah 2 referring to the mountain was referring to the church. That's what was in view. That great consideration referring to that mountain that would fill the whole earth was none other than the church of our Lord, the blessed church of Christ, the church of which you and I today are still so thankful to be a part. Aren't you fascinated to give thought that millennia ago God revealed to Daniel that this stone was going to become a mountain that filled the whole earth and to this day we are privileged and honored to be a part of it. We constitute that mountain. In addition to that, Notice the time frame was perfect. We had studied before in Daniel 2.44, in the days of these kings, the Roman kings, this kingdom, this mountain would be established. When was the church begun? You and I know well it was in Acts chapter 2. What was the ruling empire on earth then? It was Rome. Luke 3 verse 1 in fact lists for us a series of Roman kings. They were in power. And exactly thus when, in correspondence to that prophecy, Rome ruling the world, it was time for the kingdom to be. Sure enough, God set it up exactly when He said He would. In fact, as you look at one of the next statements, even the Lord was well aware, as well as the others of His time, about the nearness of that kingdom. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, John the Baptist was known to preach, "'Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand.'" John knew the kingdom was about to be established. He knew the kingdom was very, very soon to be. However, it wasn't yet. Jesus preached the same thing in Matthew 4, 17. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These two powerful figures knew the kingdom was about to be established. Didn't Jesus Himself pray in Matthew chapter 6? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. We can stop at that point for the Lord on that occasion was teaching His apostles to pray for the nearness in the coming kingdom. Later on, as we look perhaps at Mark 9 verse number 1, we see perhaps the strongest statement of all. Jesus was nearing the time of His own crucifixion on that occasion and He with powerful character preached a message and among it were words like these. There be some of you standing here which shall not taste of death until they've seen the kingdom of God come with power. Jesus said in the lifetime of you folks here today, the kingdom is going to be established. The fact is, in Mark 9 verse 1, in the lifetime of those people, the kingdom was established. In fact, it was established not too many days after the very occasion of that great sermon. It is interesting then as we give thought to those events of the Old Testament. We can go even further than this. Might I ask you to notice as we come to one last series of thoughts, 
remember in Daniel 7, there had been a very set of specifics. One like the Son of Man, passing through the clouds to the Ancient of Days. Let's fill in the rest of those pieces concerning the crucifixion of our Savior. We know that all four of the gospel accounts reach their ending point, and in every one of them, He is hung on an old Roman cross. Nails are driven into His hands, and His feet, and He's put to death. As Peter recounts those events on the day of Pentecost, preaching with such power on that occasion, he points out in Acts 2, verse number 30, that Jesus indeed was crucified, and He said, With wicked and lawless hands, you put Him to death. Acts chapter 2 as they heard Peter preach those things, Peter was quick to say, though, the bars of death wasn't able to hold him. For God raised him up, Acts 2.24. And he now reigns in regal splendor on David's throne, Acts 2, verse 30. And as he does so, we now appreciate, interestingly, the final thoughts. We know very well that the angel had already told Mary, right before she became pregnant, what is in thee is of the Holy Spirit. He's going to reign on the throne of his father David, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That sounds a lot like what we just heard God tell Daniel. Of his kingdom, the kingdom spoken of by way of that mountain, it would never end. You and I know, again, that's taking us in full consideration to the church of our Savior. Surely, as you come to the bottom of that slide, let's note the language of Acts chapter 1. After Jesus was crucified and after He was resurrected, He preached and taught and shared information, but the time came for His ascension. Notice with me how that happened in Acts chapter 1. The opening stanza of the book of Acts, we read in verses 9, 10, and 11, this autograph concerning the ascension of our Savior. And when He had spoken these things while they beheld... He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. You noticed it with me, didn't you? It says, this one who is like the Son of Man. How often did Jesus refer to Himself as the Son of Man? He did so frequently. That was His most favorite designation of Himself. It said in verse number 9, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. Jesus passed through the clouds on that occasion. The text says that He did. And He passed through the clouds and went to what destination or location? Daniel had told us that it was to the Ancient of Days. Who was the Ancient of Days? That is Daniel's favorite description of and God's description of Himself. The Son of Man passed through the clouds to the Ancient of Days. Jesus ascending back to the Father in heaven. And as He did so, the text informed us it was time to receive a kingdom. It was time to receive dominion and majesty and power and that he did. As you conclude the 11th verse of Acts chapter 1, all you have to do is turn the page to Acts chapter 2. There the kingdom begins. 
there the Lord received the kingdom just as the book of Daniel had told us that He would. With all of that, we come to the close of that slide and now we appreciate how often the New Testament affirms to us that the kingdom was received and that it was established. Case in point, you and I might recollect the prophecy of Psalm 24, verses 9 and 10. The last two verses of that very interesting psalm, if we could just note the language, there in tremendous power and strength it says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Psalm 24 is a presentation of the ascension of our Savior. The King of glory had come home. And when He did, the gates had been lifted up, and the King of glory re-entered the majesty of heaven. And when He did, He received a kingdom. Didn't Jesus Himself say in Matthew 28, All authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and in earth. That power and authority as it rested upon Him takes us to think about Colossians 1.18. One more time considering the church. Speaking of Christ, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. He has all preeminence. Surely in light of those things, all of these pieces fit together rather remarkably. And remember that God revealed these things to Daniel well over half a millennium before Jesus was ever born. This final slide will ask us to note just a few more thoughts and the lesson will be yours. That mountain that filled the whole earth was the church. And the new continuing statements in the New Testament remind us of how great that church is. It truly does extend to all continents, to all languages, to all people everywhere. The same plan of salvation for you and me is the same one to be preached in every location. Revelation eleven fifteen says, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. Sounds a lot like Daniel chapter 7 again, doesn't it? Not only that, you and I might rest with great thankfulness upon the continuance and the permanence of this church. Aren't you thankful that this kingdom was not to be done away with and another replace it? There's nothing greater than this. Aren't you thankful to be a Christian, to be a part of this body, the blessed church of our Savior? I would ask you to notice that the New Testament affirms time and again that the kingdom is a reality. I say all of that to say, and I put it as a statement on the very next point on that slide, there is a rather rampant error. It's known as premillennialism. It teaches the kingdom has yet to be established and how wrong that is. My friend, the kingdom, as you and I have seen in Daniel's prophesied to come in the days of the Roman kings, but the Roman empire is long since gone. If premillennialism is right, the Roman empire has to be reestablished and the kingdom has to again come to be. That's not going to happen. In fact, in one of the next lessons of our series, we're going to see that there's even more than this that might be said, but I thought it best not to put it all in the same lesson. For you see, Daniel will tell us about the chronology of all this too. Now we've seen about the days of the Roman kings tonight, but Daniel was even more specific than that. How many years were to pass before the kingdom was, was to begin? Daniel told us. 
I won't spoil the coming lesson by saying that tonight, but come back on the succeeding Sunday nights as we look at that more intently. Suffice it to say, the kingdom was established. It was established about 2,000 years ago. And it continues in power and in majesty, and it shall continue until time shall end. And so at the bottom of that slide, the church, we're told, will be triumphant. Oh, it's going to have its enemies, no doubt about that. Satan is going to put the church in his crosshairs. He always has. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that much. But we know that ultimately those faithful to the Lord shall be victorious. 2 Corinthians 2.14 tells us about that victory, the marvelous celebration that you and I are able to appreciate, and aren't you thankful? Surely, as we close that slide, there is a place called the kingdom of God. It's the blessed church, and it, of course, is such that those that are saved comprise it. Are you a member of the church tonight? Are you faithful to that calling that you received? You remember the day that you became a member, if that's the case. You remember the promise and the vow that you made. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Have you been faithful and true to that promise, to that statement? If you have been, may you live until death that way. But if you haven't, tonight would be the perfect occasion to make things right between you and your God. Remember, that great kingdom has been established. It shall last forever. It'll never be given to another. Isn't it a sweet statement then to note Romans 16, 16? It says, the churches of Christ salute you. There's the name of the kingdom. Are you a member of that kingdom? I know that I speak before many tonight who are, but may we remain faithful always to that, to that kingdom. May we be loyal citizens within it. Tonight, though, if you're not, perhaps you've never become one, you need to believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess the sweet name of Jesus as the Savior and be baptized. If we could help you do that, it would truly be a wonderful night to celebrate. If you have become a member of that body, having been added to it this the way Jesus said that you would be in Acts 2.47, if you haven't been faithful to it, with sins known publicly and things that have brought disgrace upon the church for which Jesus died. Why not come back tonight to your first love? Jesus is waiting with open arms to receive you, but you must repent and confess. Tonight, if we could help you in those ways, we would also be happy to do it. The invitation is to be extended, and if we could be of assistance to anyone in a public response, don't delay, but why not come now while together we stand and while we sing?